If you would now turn to the scriptures and open up with me in the Gospel of Luke as we've been making our way through it. We are in uh, chapter 11 now. We are looking at verses 1 through 4 of Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Before we read God's Word, let us go to Him again in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You that even as we confess, Lord, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Lord, we need Your Spirit now to open up our eyes. Lord, unless Your Spirit is here and working among us, we again, we are reminded we are here in vain. We listen in vain. We're wasting our time but we believe in the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that you will open up our eyes, that your Spirit might give us eyes to behold our Lord Jesus Christ. Give us ears to hear. And Lord, I pray that you will soften our hearts that we might receive the gospel, that we might rest upon Jesus Christ and receive him as he is proclaimed this morning through your word. Be merciful, Lord, to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear God's word this morning from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. He who has ears, let him hear the word of God. Please be seated. There was a man named uh, Peter Beskendorf, and to most of his friends, uh, he was simply known as Peter the Barber. And that was his livelihood, that was his occupation, that's why they called him that. And one day, as Peter was preparing to cut hair, as he did every day, an extremely dangerous criminal walks in. The news had been announcing this fugitive was at large and was considered to be so dangerous that he was to be captured dead or alive. Maybe not too unlike what we saw in the news up in Pennsylvania recently, a fugitive on the loose. And it happens to be the case, a true story, that this fugitive walks in to Peter's barbershop to get his hair cut. There was also a substantial reward out for this man's apprehension. So this criminal sits down in front of Peter, and Peter takes out his blade to begin shaving and cutting hair. And Peter could have easily claimed this man's life and also claimed the reward that would have greatly impacted and changed his life. But Peter didn't hurt this man. In fact, Peter didn't even call the authorities on this man. Why not? This was Peter's pastor. And this man was no other than Martin Luther. True story. And as the story goes... Luther was known for praying aloud, and people would often listen to his prayers, and it must have so happened that Luther was praying aloud at some point, and his barber heard. And Peter would ask his barber, how can I pray? 
And Luther would write to Peter a 40-page treatise that is published, A Simple Way to Pray. Uh, You can read it. It's um, very helpful, very good. Uh, Some of the highlights is uh, Luther says the way that we can learn to pray is we we study the Lord's Prayer, as we're going to do this morning. Uh, You can also study the Ten Commandments. And if you know the Lord's Prayer and you know the Ten Commandments, and also if you know the Apostles' Creed, you're pretty set. And you can... uh, uh, really pray forever and ever and never exhaust those three elements. And I would also include, if you know the Psalms, uh, that is also a good model in how to pray. But here we have the Lord's Prayer. Our text, something similar, must have happened to Jesus. Jesus was praying as He often did, and Jesus often prayed aloud. Uh, we know that because we have Jesus' prayers, uh, many of them recorded for us uh, in the Scriptures And one of his disciples was listening in, and here we have in verse 1, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Do you know how to pray? Or do you ever feel like maybe this disciple, I really don't know what I'm doing. I don't really know how to pray. Ever read any of the Puritan prayers, or if any of you have that book, The Valley of Vision, If you don't have it, I would recommend it to you. It's a collection of Puritan prayers. And you read their their prayers and you feel like, wow, I have no idea how to pray. I don't know what I'm doing. And, you know, I've been praying for a number of years now, and I'm a minister of the gospel. But even Sunday evenings, sometimes I go to pray and I feel, I don't know what to say. What, what What am I doing what should I? Re- what do I say to God? How do I? What do I request? What, how do I address Him? What? What am I doing? I, I. I feel so weak. I feel lost. And so this disciple asked Jesus, "How can we pray? Um, what can we do? How can we approach God?" And what's also interesting about whoever asked this prayer. They have also been praying probably most of their life because the Jewish community, they, they prayed a lot. This person was not unfamiliar to prayer. This person was not a Gentile, but a Jewish person. So then how does Jesus answer this all-important question? While Luther did it in a, a 40-page treatise, um, Jesus did it in three verses. And we see a structure that is very similar to the Ten Commandments. We see first this uh, a vertical Uh, dimension that in our prayers, the first thing that we ought to be doing is us to God before we start doing anything horizontal, us to others, or even just myself. But we are first approaching God, uh, that the vertical element. I also want you to note too that the Lord's prayer, as it is often called, is not Jesus's prayer. That is, Jesus never prayed this prayer. Uh, This is Jesus' prayer as a model, as an example for us, because Jesus never had to ask God to forgive him of his sins, never. So this is not Jesus' prayer. We can find Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, but this is our prayer. Uh, This is the, the model that Christ gives his people, his children, his sheep on how we can pray. And it begins with praise. There's a lot of P's. There's pardon and there's praise, there's protection. Uh, But here it begins with with praise. Father, hallowed be your name. First we see just how it begins with the title Father. We pray to God as our Holy Father. This is where our prayer starts. 
It's again to, to be reminded as we pray, we aren't praying to each other. When we're praying, we aren't praying for others' encouragement uh, um, as they hear us. We aren't praying uh, that others would think much of us. We aren't praying to saints or Mary. We aren't praying to anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters under earth. We are praying to God and Him alone. And this is important because often in our prayers, I think we are thinking more about ourselves often than God. Uh, when I'm praying, I'm just thinking about what I need, and it's more about me rather than God himself. And so here, this is, again, setting right from the beginning that our attention should be on God as our Father. And that calling God as Father, and I know it can be difficult for some of us, and none of us had perfect earthly fathers. In fact, some of you I know who come from abusive uh, uh, fathers or absent fathers. And one of the reasons prayer can be so difficult, even no matter how your earthly father treated you, is that we all actually have a deep-seated guilt. We all have a deep-seated fear and resentment with our relationship with God. The law on our hearts naturally makes us afraid of God. Uh, we are afraid to approach Him lest He hurt us, lest He punish us, lest He be ashamed of us. We, we really don't trust Him. Uh, we are skeptical. We are disbelieving. We understand by nature we are children of, of wrath, and we are so unlike our Heavenly Father. We have marred His image. We have run away from Him. Uh, we are rebellious children, and in our own hearts, it makes sense. Of course, he's angry at me. Of course, he must hate me. Of course, he's going to punish me. Of course, he's going to do something that, that, that I'm not going to like. That all makes sense in our hearts. But that's an absolute lie. And the beginning of this prayer is trying to teach us that. It's trying to remind us that before we pray and as we approach God, you have to remember the gospel. You have to learn the love and affection of God for his people that he spared not and he gave us his only son and how much more will he freely give us all things. If you remember every time Jesus prayed, he said, Father, because he knew his father's love, right? Jesus knew his father's love. Jesus wasn't rebellious. Uh, Jesus what was never wayward like we are, um, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. We've heard those words of God himself declaring upon Jesus, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, except there was one time where Christ doesn't call out to his father and it's at the cross and he, where he felt the full weight of God's wrath against our sin. Jesus there at the cross is being disowned that we might be adopted, that we might be brought in, dying on the cross, bearing the alienation from God that you and I rightly deserve for our sins. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is what you and I deserve. And our natural disposition is to feel, that's right, I, 
God should forsake me. I don't deserve to enter into His presence, but remember the cross. Remember that Christ took what you and I deserve, that you and I might be adopted as children into His family, that we might boldly enter His presence and know that He loves us. And so that's how Jesus teaches us to pray, that we are to pray as God, as our loving Father, that we have been purchased, we have been adopted, that we are, are not our own. If you forget that you are a son, you're going to start thinking you're a slave. If you start thinking you're a slave, you're going to view God as a heavy taskmaster. And if you view God as a harsh taskmaster, you're not going to view him as a loving father. You're not going to love or trust him. You don't believe that he will have good for you. And so the first part of our prayer is to remember that you are his son. And this is the most, probably the, this is probably the, the greatest challenge of the church today, certainly in our church, is for us to truly believe that we have been justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. That's it. That's, probably, that's the hardest thing for the church to do, to rest in Christ. But the second thing is to believe that you are actually adopted into God's family and that He loves you as His child. And once we get those things straight and once we understand the gospel, once we know that our Father loves us and loves us in Christ, then as, our, as children we might approach Him. And we come to then our first request. And it's not about us, it's about Him. Hallowed be your name. A reminder, again, that He is holy, He is majestic. He is lovely. We pray that God, by His grace, would enable us and incline us uh, to acknowledge who He truly is, to better understand who He is, that He is holy. And we don't honor Him as we are ought to honor Him. Uh, we, we just confess that, and this is a cry for help. You are holy, and help us to, to honor you as being holy. We aren't holy. Our heart's desire is so often revealed when we pray. And I think that's why it's sometimes scary to pray out loud, lest our hearts be revealed. And what should be in our hearts is that He gets glory, that He is hallowed, that He is revered. But so often, as Sinclair Ferguson said, our prayers are like organ recitals. That is, you know, pray for my aunt's organs and my limbs or my this or my that. And those aren't bad things, and we're going to get to those things, but the primacy of our prayers uh, should be the glory and the hallowing of God. Also, too, if you just think in our culture how often God's name is used in a flippant manner, never given much thought. It's kind of just a cultural trend, you know, OMG, this and that. It's not a big deal, but God will not hold in him guiltless who takes his name in vain. It might not seem important to many, it might not even seem important to you, but Jesus made this the number one request in the Lord's Prayer, that his name be kept hallowed. This is our chief end, that we give glory to him. We also pray not simply for praise, but we have our purpose in our prayer is that His kingdom come. Very simply, that God's kingdom 
is God's rule and we declare our desire that the usurped power of Satan might be speedily cast down and that all of mankind might acknowledge God as their lawful king. It didn't say, your democracy come. Notice that. It says, your kingdom come. That he is the right, rightful king. He is the, the only king. We're praying that all false religions be squashed and that Christianity be spread. That, that Christ might be made known. We're not simply praying to him as a God who uh, is a, a heavenly doctor who can help us with this or that need, that he is the sovereign king of the universe. He rules over all things. And that should affect our prayers because as we come to God in, our pr- in prayer, we aren't coming to him as a doctor responding to this sickness uh, or, or that pain, but we're coming to him who is absolutely in control of everything so that we, even in our prayers, we can understand that he might even be using cancer, he might even be using sickness, and he might even be using death to further his kingdom. And if it means my sickness, that his kingdom might be spread, that his kingdom might go forth, then so be it. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Let, let us pray that his kingdom progresses and that it continues to move on. We also need provision. So we have praise, purpose, and provision. And there are really three things. We have three daily needs that we need the Lord to provide for us. We need daily bread, we need daily pardon, and we need daily protection. And first, we have our daily bread. And under this word bread, it includes everything which our bodies can require. We acknowledge that we are entirely dependent upon God uh, for life, for breath, and all things. This is, this is a reminder to us that not simply do we, uh, should we thank God for our daily bread, which probably many of us do, but this is a reminder that we should even be asking God, Lord, please provide for us, because all, often our disposition to think, I've earned this, and I've done that, and, and uh, I've acquired this and that, but also this is helping us to remember that we cannot even reach our hands out to receive bread, lest God allows it. We cannot even draw a breath from our lung unless God allows it. We can do nothing. We can do nothing. We can do nothing apart from God, and all of that is included in give us our daily bread. Things don't automatically happen in this world. Nothing happens outside of God's powerful provision as He governs over all things. We are completely dependent on Him. We also need daily forgiveness. Forgive us of our sins, uh, that He is the Holy One and we are not. A lot of people, if you ask them a question about what happens to them when they die, they will simply say, well, God will forgive me. And again, this is important that, to remember that God cannot simply just forgive us on the basis of forgiveness alone. Uh, this is a reminder that in our forgiveness of sins, there had to be a payment. Uh, uh, the wages of sin is death, and someone had to pay that, and it's going to be you or it's going to be Christ. And so, as we pray for the forgiveness of sins, we are again reminded that our sins deserve death, and yet Christ took it upon Himself. This is why Christ went to the cross. This is why Christ came to earth, that our sins might be forgiven, and so that we 
could then approach our Heavenly Father. And it says, forgive us, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. This is probably one of the scariest things to pray. Do we really want God to forgive us as we are forgiving others? How well am I doing at that? How readily in my heart just does it get, in, is it drawn to bitterness and anger? Am I just wanting to hold on to a grudge? But this is asking us that we would forgive as we have been forgiven. As you've heard, you know, hurt people hurt people. Well, forgiven people forgive people. We don't want to be like the unforgiving servant who's forgiven a million pieces of silver and don't forgive someone else who owes him ten. If we harbor bitterness, if we are harboring anger and readily chewing people out, we are in jeopardy of proving that we have not really been forgiven by God. You know, it's interesting, the whole of Christianity is built around the idea of God providing a Savior who will forgive His people of their sins. But yet, so often, the church is a group of people who don't forgive each other, and it's awful, and it's terrible. As we come to this, it should remind us that we are the chief of sinners. Not someone over there, but my heart, I'm a sinner, not the person next to me, me. I need it. I'm a sinful man. And knowing that, we know our, our position and our temptation is so real in our lives. Finally, we ask for daily protection. Lead us not into temptation. This is something that we ought to be fearing every single day of our lives. We need daily protection from the evils that surround us, but also that are within us. We are confessing that we are weak, that we are ready to fall and fail, and that we need the armor of God. We are weak. You know, so often we are like Peter, and we will say, I will never do that. I will never deny you, Jesus, and yet we'll be the first to deny Jesus. You know, there are different people that come on the news or even in, in Christian circles, and you might even say, you know, how could they do that? I, how, you know, I, it's impossible. How, how could they have done that great evil? Well, if that is your disposition, it's a scary place to be because it's not really recognizing what's happening in our own hearts, that our heart's disposition is so readily willing to run and to pursue evil, and we need to be delivered from that. Unless we are brought into temptation, we need to be watchful. We need to be praying as Jesus would call his, his disciples to do, to watch and pray, lest you fall into temptation. So we need to be watchful. Uh, we need to be uh, like the, the guard looking out, watching over our hearts, over all things, lest we fall into temptation. Do you remember Peter the barber as we started? Peter's story actually doesn't end all that well. Uh, Peter had an opportunity to take Luther's life, and, and he didn't. And not too long after um, Luther wrote him that treatise of a simple way to pray, uh, Peter would get drunk. He would get intoxicated with his son-in-law. His son-in-law would uh, claim to be invulnerable to wounds. And invulnerable to wounds, 
right? So he couldn't be pierced by a sword or a dagger. And in their drunken state, you know, that they're, you know, that, that's what's going on. And what Peter does is he takes a knife and he stabs his son-in-law. And it proves that his son-in-law indeed is not impervious to wounds. Something ridiculous and silly, right? But he kills him. And uh, Peter is put in prison and Peter is facing the death penalty now. This is all true. And the only reason he didn't uh, get the death penalty was because Luther would come on his behalf and plead for him. And he would be subject, Peter would be to lifelong banishment. But Peter would then wrestle with, you know, I was just being taught how to pray. And maybe just like yourself, but there's something deep in your life, like Peter's life, where you feel great guilt and great shame. And this is what Peter would wrestle with is, how could God even hear me? Why would God hear my prayers? Why should I even approach God when I have all of this sin? He would wrestle with, can God even love me? But Luther would comfort him with the gospel. Uh, Luther would remind him that Jesus purchased prayer for Peter and for you and me, and that Jesus even now lives to ever make intercession for us. And so as we approach God in prayer, again, we are not approaching God because we have our lives together or because everything in your life has lined up or you've conquered this or that sin. No, Peter's lives was messed up and so are you and my lives. It's all messed up and we only approach God through the Lord Jesus Christ washed in that gospel and that's how it begins and this is how it should end. That you should believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Cry out to the Lord, my Father. And know that in Christ, God will hear you and that you can have peace. Even though Peter was banished, even though everyone, many people hated Peter, he found forgiveness and he found life and he found it in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and that Peter, even being banished, could cry out to God and know that he hears him and know that he loves him and so can you and I. So let's go to the Lord in prayer Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you that you taught us to pray. And Lord, we even need confession of our lack of prayer. We don't pray as we ought. We don't daily call upon your name and we are so fearful of approaching you or we, feel, we, we, we fear what others would, would think if we pray aloud and someone would judge us. Oh Lord, we thank you that you call sinners to yourself. Um, Lord, we thank you that you gave us uh, something to feed our souls, to approach you in prayer. Lord, I pray that you will help us to pray, that we'll come to you as our heavenly Father, that we will, our priority of our lives would that you would be hallowed, that uh, you will um, provide for our every need, that your kingdom would come. Uh, Lord, we need a bread, we need uh, provision. Uh, Lord, we need pardon. Uh, we need, uh, Lord, that the protection from temptation and evil. Uh, Lord, we thank you, and I pray that you will help us to continue to pray, and even as we gather this evening to pray, that we will try to implement some of the things that you're teaching us in prayer. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.